Good morning, church. It's a joy to be here. Uh, the worship, oh my gosh. Whew. He is powerful. And he is above all things. I need him. I know one thing that um, God has a way to minister to all of us when we come into his house, does he not? He meets us right in the space and the place we are and amongst the people. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. We find in these verses, verses 2 to 8, an interesting message. But I really want to share uh, today a first part. Uh, uh, this is first part of a message that I'm bringing second part next week about interlocking moments in history. So let's look at Exodus chapter 6. I'll read verses 2 down to 8. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Verse 5, furthermore, I have heard the groaning the groaning of the sons of Israel, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse eight, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord, the word of God. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, this moment, this hour. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to come and we come with thanksgiving on our hearts and with joy to praise you, to worship you, and to acknowledge who you are. But Lord, now we come to hear your word. And I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth will be holy and acceptable and pleasing in thy sight. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that worship song uh, got to me when it particularly when it, as it came to that point that says, I need you. Do you need the Lord? And when it says about his power, 
He is powerful and he is above all that is going on. Well, throughout the Bible and up to the juncture of this moment, this day, this time, these days before us are interlocking moments in history that contributed vitality and meaning in the whole emerging mass of divine blessing, divine declarations that come from the Lord. The Lord God himself has many times throughout scripture given a declaration. And what we heard in our reading in Exodus 6, you hear the declaration, you hear the blessing. The Lord God himself has given a declaration, a pledge, an oath to his people. And in such divine statements, we can hear clearly that God himself would clearly do or be something for his people. Not only for his people, for nations and the general nature of his declaration expresses his character as well as his call on our lives. We can find the pattern in the Old Testament uh, I call it a tripartite formula of promise. I noticed that throughout the worship songs, that word promise was injected through many of those um, songs. Let me share what I mean by a tripartite formula of promise. As a first part of this tripartite promise, we find a divine declaration in God's covenant to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verses seven to eight. The Lord says, I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. He says, I will continue this everlasting covenant between us, generation after generation. It will continue between me and your offspring forever. This is what in Genesis we find in chapter 17 that God said to Abraham, here we are today, generation after generation. It is a declaration that has what I call interlocking moments of history. Expressed to Abraham's generation and in the yet to come descendants, generations even unto now, and our descendant generations. As a second part of this tripart formula of promise, we find our text this morning. The Lord promises action. If you notice in this text, you hear the action words, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, seven times. You note in this Exodus 6, when he spoke to Moses in verses 2 to 5, he says, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. 
I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Here lies the second tripart in these verse, verses six and seven. He says, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will, another I will statement, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. A declaration of interlocking moments in history. The Lord promises action now and in the yet to come of the descendants of the descendant generations even until now and even our descendant generations. Well, God addresses the people in this second tripart. These are beautiful few verses that speak of God's great plan of redemption. With Moses, he looks to the past and says, let me tell you four things that I've already done. Here with Israel, he looks to the future and says, let me tell you seven things I am going to do. Hmm. There are seven promises of salvation here. Number one, he says, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. Many of us are experiencing burdens of all sorts and kind. And we find throughout this nation, even as we look into 2021, 2020, you find that so many are burdened and so many feel so much in bondage. But these seven promises of salvation the Lord has here, number one, I will, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. But he says, I, number two, another, I will, he says, I will deliver you from slavery to them. The Lord is in the business and he has the power to bring us out of that bondage, whatever it may be. <coughs> Thirdly, there's a third I will. He says, I will redeem you 
with an outstretched arm. Number four, I will take you to be my people. To empty yourself, to stretch our hand out to the Lord and to cry out to him and to repent of our sin and to turn to him and say, Lord, I stretch out my arm. He says, I will take you to be mine, my possession, my people. The fifth I will, he says, I will be your God. I think so much in our lives. When I look back in my life and we can look at our lives and we have to be very careful. There's little G's, little gods, idolatry. He says, I will be your God. And this is a capital G, an all powerful and all knowing God who has power over all the circumstances and everything pertaining to life. So we're witnessing in a time such as this that we're finding and many are struggling and saying, well, well what's, what's going on in the evangelical church? What's going on amongst the, in the church? The Lord says, I'm going to deliver you, but he's calling us to be a people unto him. He says, I will be your God. He says, I will bring you into the land I swore to give you. I will, and that seventh one, he says, I will give it to you for a possession. He's piling up promise after promise after promise. Someone said, well, he's a promise keeper. The Lord is given already. He's given us in, he's given a promise here that's piled up promise after promise after promise. So here we are today. Seven of, of them, he says, I'll take you to be my people. It's not just, he says, and I'll take you to the land. I'll give you a possession. It's not just you'll be in it. It's not just that we'll be in church. It's not just that we will be in a physical place. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were in the promised land, but they were sojourners. He says, I'm going to give it to you. They hadn't known anything except for a little cave. That's all they ever owned. But God says, that's going to change. What liberating, freeing, rescuing, adopting, loving, lavishing good news. God says, I'm going to give you a better abiding possession. Now think of these seven promises to the Israelites and think of how much greater are the promises that Christ makes to us. To the Israelites, he says, I will bring you out from the burden of the Egyptians. Jesus says, I will make your yoke easy and your burdens light. I will deliver you from slavery to the Egyptians. I will deliver those who thought fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In Exodus chapter 29 and verses 45, 46, I find this third part of this tripart formula of promise that I am defining before you. The Lord says, he says here, I will dwell in your midst. 
I will dwell in the midst of you. I will be your God and you shall be my people and I will dwell in the midst of you. Dwell. That speaks of presence. That speaks of him living. This tripod formula of promise that I've described expresses God interlocking moments in history that contribute vitality and meaning to the emerging mass of divine blessing, a giving word from the Lord, a declaration from him, a pledge, an oath that God himself will truly do or be something for you and I. Thank you, Lord. Let's go a little further. In the New Testament, hmm, the gospel writer John, John shares more of the central action of God's blessing and promise. John's right, John, right off the bat, John, right out of the hopper, right in the very beginning in his gospel account, in what we call his prologue, he starts with the presentation of Jesus Christ. He says, and, and, and I'll give you some excerpts, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. John goes on to say, in him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Can I get an amen? amen? Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I will be in your midst, the Lord says. Remember now, the Lord God said, Back in Exodus 29, 45, 46, did I describe this part of this, this third part of this tripart formula of promise? The Lord says, I will dwell in the midst of you. John writes, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace, and truth for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ God's covenantal blessings given in scripture are manifesting they manifest interlocking varying moments in history, the revealing promises and or declarations was frequently an immediate blessing as a promissory word or pledge that God would work in the future 
or had already worked in some given event or situation. Well, we can say then that God has done so in a way that significance had been given to man's present history and by this simultaneously to future generations also. So we ought not be stuck. You and I ought not be stuck with the troubles of day. God is still on his throne. The challenge for you and I is to return to him and to turn to him, to allow his spirit to work in and through us in times such as this. Perhaps you're right when you say everything has changed. Church has changed. Things have changed in our community. Things have changed in the nation. Well, truth of the matter is life is bad. Life is very bad, but there's hope, and the hope is in Jesus Christ. And there's a needed reconciliation, a needed re reconciling in our lives, a reconciling of the people of God. And that comes from repentance and humility before powerful, an awesome God whose promises, he never fails on his promises. We're the one that renege. Interlocking the moments, the moment is realizing God in the midst during this time and season in our lives. He is still on his throne. As that songwriter wrote that Jesus is on the throne and he's going to be on the throne forever. Fulfillment of parts of the ancient promise of blessings delivered to the patriarchs is what he's all about. God is all about. The covenant has not been forgotten. The duty of obedience expressed in Genesis 22, 18 and 26, 5 and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I don't know about you, but I've had to get on my knees this week. Not the only time. Because how often do we hear what God says to us? He's very clear, but we just outright don't obey or we allow our circumstances to overwhelm us that we forget that he is the promise keeper. And he's not only a promise keeper, he's a way maker. And what he desires is to guide us. I come to grips with something this week. This issue of maturity. Many people say, well, you need to grow up in the Lord. They'll, they'll say, use those kinds of words to one another. And I thought about maturation, maturing. I'm talking about the growing up in the Lord. And when I do a self-evaluation, I'm like, I, I, I've got a long ways to go. Well, I, 
I realized that there's something about that growing up to be the man that he's called me to be, to be the husband, to be the father, to be the, to, to, to be, to be, to be a shepherd, to be a servant, to really be a servant. I, I, I must be on this journey of continual growth. But I knew that apart from repentance, I, 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 I realized apart from re- repentance and humbling myself before the Lord, well, <laughs> I'm not going, that means I'm not taking this, the first step. But there was something else that I come to grips with as it relates to growing up spiritually growing up and that it is it is a miraculous it is something miraculous it's the miracle of God working in our lives for those who have received Jesus Christ to know that you have been redeemed is one thing to grow in to grow up in Christ is allowing the Spirit of God to work in and through us. So this, this maturation and this growing up means that I need to yield and allow God to do a miracle in my life. Is anybody else on that page in here? It's about obedience and allowing God to do what only he can do. Both the promise and the law were initiated by the same covenant-making God. Far from being a legalistic code or a hypothetical means of earning one's salvation, the law was a means of maintaining fellowship with Yahweh, not the grounds of establishing it. The same law that demanded a standard of holy living equal to the character of God himself also made provision for failure under the law by forgiveness and atonement of sin. The context of every and any demand of the law was the atmosphere of grace. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Some of us have experienced a bondage of Egypt in our lives, all of us to some degree or another. He is the Lord that delivers us. The promise of God, when I think about, when I think about Paul, as I conclude here, and, and Paul, when Paul went, went before Agrippa in Acts 26, I noticed what Paul said in Acts 26, that second and third verse. He says, in regard, he says, as he, as he, as, as he began to speak for himself, as Agrippa asked, he said to Paul, you are permitted to speak. And Paul stretched out his hand, and then he proceeded. And guess what Paul's defense was? He says, in regard to all the things in which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa that I am about to make my defense before you. And this is what he says, verse three, specifically because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. 
So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. He says, and now I am standing trial, verse six and seven, for the hope of the promise. I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, I, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. He says, I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made to God, to our fathers. Those within the sound of my voice and to me, myself, I hear what Paul is saying. Do you hear? He says, I am standing on the hope of the promise made by God to our, our fathers. Paul had confidence. He rested on a single promise, not a prediction, nor number of scattered prognostications. No, it was a definite, singular plan of God to benefit one man through him to bless the whole world. For the New Testament writers, this one promise of God epitomized all that God had begun to do and say in the Old Testament, and he continued doing in their own era. Interlocking moments among the variant features embraced by this single promise were word blessing of the gospel for the Gentiles, the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead, the promise of the Holy Spirit in a new fullness and redemption from sin and its consequences and the greatest of all the promises of Jesus, the Messiah. The promise of Jesus, the Messiah. I like how Brandon ended, ended that with about receiving Jesus. The blessing of the promise from generation, from the descendants, from generation to generation to generation. Here we are today and we need to pass on that same blessing of promise that came from Yahweh. Many, 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 many generations ago. The God's people had a problem. They will wander, fall into idolatry, fall into sin, turn their backs from him, get into a crisis and gotta cry out to the Lord. What do you need, another variant? Do we need another variant? To be continued next week. <laughs> Closer into where we are right now next week. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. It's amazing how, Lord, you can take us all the way back. To the covenant you made. 
the covenant you made with Moses, the covenant you made with Abraham. Yes, you are. God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've made your covenant God and you've given us a new covenant in Jesus Christ. But Lord, we ask for your forgiveness because we do not conduct ourselves as covenant people. And I pray, Lord, that you will work in us, work in our hearts. And may we manifest, repent of our ways and be obedient to you in a time such as this. So many are in bondage and need you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.